Good morning. Welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm your pastor. This is... Churches do this thing. I don't like... I've been on staff at churches, different types of churches, different denominations, and there's always like this, how are we going to get the people to do this, this, or that, and how are we going to market this, and how are we going to advertise that, and my heart of hearts, I honestly just want all of us to be able to maybe not necessarily come up here and be like Matt, is very brave and terrifying, knowing that at any moment we could change things, but when I asked him those questions and to have those guys, like some of them are here, some of them aren't here, some of them are shy, but they were... I'll come up. And then Derek said, who do you call these guys? Like, Matt knows exactly who he's going to call to bail him out at three in the morning of a situation, not jail. Actually, that's 50-50 for how you drive, probably. Um, this is why we need this. And we always say, go sign up at the Unity Ted desk. See Don, sign up. I don't even know if I want to ever say that. Like, don't sign up. Don't join community. Don't be in community. It's weird to go sign up, right? Maybe. How about this? Instead, if you're in one group and you see someone that just looks like a deer in the headlights on a Sunday morning, just be like, hey, I don't have to talk to my friends. I see them all the time. That person looks terrified and lost. They are because church is weird. Like, if you just imagine if you just came and this is your first service ever or you grew up in like a very old school, like Catholic vibe, and you come in here, and you're like, what is going on? But here's what I love. Like Silas, he's one of my ride or die, and he's a littler than me. He's my son. But when we were worshiping today, like he was doing what I was doing, and I felt his hand hit my leg, and I looked down. I thought, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to be doing this forever. And like Silas will be hanging with me. We're going to do our hippo races together. We've talked about. I'm winning because I've been organizing this. It's 10,000 people strong at least. Or you've, we're going to figure out some extreme stuff to do when I get my new knees and my new joints in the kingdom of God. But it's amazing to me that we get to participate in this spiritual family right now, even though it's very broken. Because you want to talk about wild stories. If you've been at Band of Brothers for any amount of time, like if you've visited three times, I would say, You've heard Matt say some things. The guy who just was up here as an example of cool dudes. And by say, say some things, like if new people come to Band of Brothers and Matt talks, I look directly at the new person and think, I'm going to find out if they are Baptist or regular humans right now. Because he just says what's on his heart and he asks honest questions. Every group he's been a part of, he is the blessed thorn in the group leader's side. Because he asks questions that none of us want to answer. Even to this day, like Matt was part of a group that I was leading years ago. I'm like, we're shutting this group down. People are like, why? Matt Mularoni. I can't. And then he went to a new group. And that group multiplied. And I said, which one's Matt going to go to? Went to Derek's group. So I warned Derek. I didn't warn Derek. But he's living a life and God is guiding him but with people, and God wants to guide you with people. Don't do this thing alone, because we're in the unseen realm. We're studying spiritual beings. It's wild. If this is your first sermon series at the chapel, you're going to be like, this is what you guys talk about? Yeah, sometimes, and it's weird. Last week, we talked about the fact that as Christians, we've just thought of God, angels, demons, and that's all that there are. But in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there is such 
so much more than just those spiritual beings. We saw in Psalm 82 that it said, God, and the word for God is Elohim. If you see G-O-D in your English Bible, it's Elohim. If you see capital L-O-R-D, all caps, that's the, the translation from the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the name of God. So you see these two names, God, G-O-D, and Elohim, or and Yahweh, which is L-O-R-D, all caps, in your English Bibles. But then you see in Psalm 82 this very weird verse where it says, Elohim stands in the midst of the divine council of Elohim. And he pronounces judgment on them because there are spiritual beings that we are unaware of. It's not just God, angels, demons. Because in Peter, we see a verse where it says the angels won't even blaspheme the celestial ones. So there's beings above angels, which are just spiritual messengers. There's beings above them that angels won't even talk bad about them. And now we find ourselves for week two looking at the three rebellions. And I don't know if this is going to go anything like I planned now. And I'm a little bit bummed because I've got 46 slides. Nathan, you're welcome. He said he likes slides. Lord, speak what you want to speak. Close my mouth when I need to close my mouth. But let us understand why these rebellions in Genesis matter for us today. Help us to understand why so many of us are still held captive to things in our walk with you. We're held captive. So many are, are imprisoned, Lord, by a diagnosis. We're imprisoned by a brokenness. We're imprisoned by something traumatic that happened in our past, and we've just stuffed it down. Lord, so many of us are trapped and chained to a particular addiction, and we just think it's us. Lord, we have no concept of the rebellions that set the stage for this and the freedom that we have because of what you accomplished on the cross. So help us to learn that not only in our brains today, but all the way to our hearts and our souls, from our head to our toes. In Jesus' name, amen. We know the first one, right? Adam and Eve. Someone tell me the story so we don't have to do this whole thing. Actually, wait, before I should just do this. Three episodes today. One, the garden. Two, episode two, the Nephilim, which are the giant people like me. If you're a six foot six Filipino, Chances are. Um, three, the Tower of Babel. Do we know all these stories? Say yes or no if you know all of them. Yes, if you know all of them? Some of you might be confused about this one. What are the Nephilim? That's when we're going to get there. If you have questions, text this number, and I'll prove that it works. Are you ready? Oh, wait. Are you writing down that number? It's too late. You don't get it, because I don't know. Ready? There you go. 814. 3444-7170. That's your number, right, Edwin? Okay. If you have questions, and they won't always get they won't get answered today, but they will get answered eventually. Um, here's a question we have from a user. Question and response. Why would God create other gods that would tempt humans? Why would he create and allow one for Buddhists, Muslims, etc.? Are they all part of the heavenly council that the Lord rules over? The Divine Council. This is a question from last week. Well, user number 3578, you're in luck. Because if I make it near the end of my slides, I will answer this question. Otherwise, you will be left hanging for another day. Episode 1, The Garden. In the garden, we have a problem. The problem is death. This was the Satan's. Or in the garden, if you look in your Bible, it's, he's only called the serpent here. 
We don't actually know that this is who we call Satan, but if you're new to this series, Satan in the Old Testament, it's never a proper noun. It's never his name. It's always the Satan, the adversary, the one who stands against God. And he invades the Garden of Eden and introduces death. We were going to live forever, you guys. It would have been nice. Not just living forever longevity. Like you weren't going to get unto the earth, dirt, eternal, old, and decrepit. Like we are going to live forever, sin-free in our prime. No achy knees, no fading eyes, no pulled back muscles, just living. And if you're like, well, they really messed that up for us. If you come to Christ, newsflash, you get to live forever in the same manner. Now, the serpent gave us a death problem. Human immortality is a thing of the past. We are estranged from God. He was crafty. Everyone say crafty, Nate. I knew it. Nate sent me this video. I hate pastors that always make people repeat words. And he just said it. You've become what you hate. (laughs) The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. We know that he's not talking about a serpent because the serpent speaks. And the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Very famous passage. Genesis 3. Two pages in the Bible are bliss. Two pages in the Bible are a man and a woman and the creator and mangoes and pineapples. And they're just running around free as a bird, literally. And then it goes bad. And the way that it goes bad is that there's this being, a serpent, And he does what he does to you and I. Did God really say? Did God actually say? And you might think, well, what do do you mean? What does he say? And he's causing you to take something God said and replace it with a lie. That's literally every sin that has ever existed is replacing a truth about God with a lie. And it grows within us. The Lord said because of this deception. Because the serpent came up and said, hey, Eve, did God really say this? Well, now he didn't say that we can't eat of any tree, just the one tree, because then you'll know good and evil. And we want to know good and evil because we live in 2023. All of us know what is good and what is evil in 2023, correct? Like if just step back and look at the news and there's no debating, right? Everyone agrees that certain things are good and certain things are evil in 2023. Is that how our culture works? Or is there some disagreement? I mean, I could throw out some topics if you want. Chinese spy balloons. How about politicians able to trade stocks that they make laws about? Uh Uh-uh, we all agree on something. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on, you're like, That's just straight up evil. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. So they ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Were they dumb before that? What did they not see before that? See, this rebellion is a twofold, but the one I need us to understand today is that this opens the door to death. This opens the door to us thinking that we know better than God. This opens the door to us defining good and evil on our own terms, and we all do it. And it wasn't just originated from humanity. There was the serpent, who we later know as a spiritual being, who comes in and speaks to humans to tempt them 
from God to believe something untrue about who God is. And God is like, I don't want them to reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and live forever. Because we would live forever in the state of being where we think we know better. So therefore, the Lord God sent him from the Garden of Eden, sent Adam out. The amazing thing about the Garden of Eden is that it was a... um, It was a connection point. See, when God created our earth and the sky above and our stars and our universe, we are what is called in a terrestrial realm, an earth realm. And the spiritual beings are part of another realm. And Eden was a point where the spiritual realm and our universe of realm, they connected in Eden. And spiritual beings and God the creator and human beings would interact. It said that God walked with them in the cool of the morning. So when we tried to take life into our own hands and become our own gods and and believe lies about God, we had to be removed from the garden. It's the first time we see this cool word right here. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. It's one of these spiritual beings that we read about later in Ezekiel. Isaiah calls them seraphim. We We know it's the same being because they're, they're, they're talked about in the exact same context. But the reason that Isaiah calls them seraphs is because a seraph was a word in Hebrew for a serpent. And it was a serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. And we see in Ezekiel that Satan, the fallen one, the devil, is referred to as a guardian cherub. The person that we know and call Satan or the devil or the evil one or Lucifer or the morning star That person in the Bible says that he was a guardian cherub. So the question is, why would God allow these spiritual beings to fall? Why would God create a being with the ability to walk away? There's a thousand theologians that will argue a thousand different ways. And all I want to say is this. We don't really know. Some might say, well, it's the free will. In order to truly love him, they have to have free will. I don't know that God was after their love or not. But what's interesting to me is that the the serpent was cursed. Because you have done this, cursed are you, above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go. You're thinking if this was a biological snake, it would already be on its belly. It wasn't. It was the cherubim who we call Satan, the devil, and Lucifer. And they had wings, and they operated. You'll see ancient art pictures of a serpent with wings covering it. That's the image that Isaiah wanted to portray, or God wanted to portray through Isaiah. And he says, you are now being cast down. You will no longer be up on the mountain of God. You will be cast down. You will no longer be able to connect from the spiritual realm to this realm. You're going down to the earth. And I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put violence between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy about Jesus. The offspring of Eve is going to come and make right what the serpent made wrong. I'm not going to talk about how the serpent got there. There's a Bible study I print out. It's also on the website. If you go to the website, click the menu. This week, there's a Bible study, and it will take you through some of these passages 
And we could just read through them because there are two accounts. Isaiah 14 is one. Ezekiel 28 is another where the prophets are speaking to a human being. But at some point in the prophet's dialogue that God said, go speak this to these people, the prophet begins speaking past the human and to the evil entity that is pulling the strings. We're going to talk about demons and demon possession in a later week. But for now, I want you to understand that when we just say demons, you're thinking of those evil spirits from movies and they turn humans into some sort of like flesh puppets but with their, their spiritual magic. But that's our construct of demons. That's why when you see exorcisms in movies, in those movies, they used to terrify me, by the way. There was a movie that came out when I was in high school called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I had not been as terrified watching a movie ever in my life except for maybe The Ring. That movie was also scary. I know that's a small window of people who have seen these movies. But many of you have heard of The Exorcist. And what happens in these moments is that they just treat the demonic power like, I'm going to cast you out. And when they resist and people howl and shriek, you see the priest, usually, or a pastor, they get louder, like they're going to battle with these beings. There is no battle. The rulers and authorities of evil have been disarmed by Christ on the cross. But they, they were and they do carry a sense of cunning and power. You see, this is why Satan fell. Because he said, I will ascend to heaven above the stars. The Hebrew people always thought of and envisioned stars as the, the places where the spiritual beings were. So Lucifer said, I want to be above the spiritual beings of God. I will set my throne on high where the most high God is. I want to be there. I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's why he fell. A cherubim, a guardian cherubim, looked at God and said, I am going to be better than you. God said, no, you are not. I would never say that. You would never say that, right? Of course we would. We just wouldn't say it out loud because we're good church people. Do you want to be your own God? Do you want to be in control of your own life? Do you read books and get apps and watch videos and try to organize your life in such a way that you have control? I just started using this app. My brother-in-law sent it to me or showed it to me. And I was like, I don't need another app for productivity. And I got the app. It's changed my world. It's called Structured. It's just a day app. And it, it basically, you put your day and it imports your calendars, and then it'll, but it tells you, here's what it does that's different. It'll say, you've got two hours and 45 minutes free. Do you want to schedule something for that? Why, yes, I do. Schedule. Think of something. Something. Put it in. Push-ups. Gym time. Pray time. All of a sudden, my days are packed. And I'm going to keep using it, but like my third or fourth day on, and I just heard this reverberating in my brain. And I'm like, hold on, let me see what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Well, I'm busy, Lord, because my day was structured, hence the app's name. I wanted control of my life, and it's a blessing. You should be controlled. Most of us here, when I look around, your amount of control is subpar. Just be honest. Like I've seen you at the little donut table out there. I've seen you on the Sundays when we don't have donuts and you stand there like a sad puppy. 
I see you keto people failing. It's February 19th. How are those resolutions coming along? You keeping yours? And he's young with energy. She, we follow in the pattern, but not from this level. This was said of the enemy. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. God's saying through Ezekiel, you were in Eden. You were beautiful. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. I put you in your place. You were on the holy mountain of God. What more could you have wanted? You were blameless. And here's the mystery of the Bible. We know that he was blameless. We know that he walked among God. We know that this serpent, before he was cast down, was a guardian cherub, anointed until until unrighteousness. We see that's a church word. Until wanting to be and believe in something that is untrue. Unrighteousness is saying there's true things. I should be a guardian cherub, but instead I want to be a most high. You are created in the image of God, and you are a creature. Your breath is so fragile. In one moment, all can change. In one moment, a loved one could pass. You can get the phone call. In one moment, something can happen to your body. In one moment, you can go to a doctor to get a normal blood workup, and you can find out you've got months or weeks to live. In one moment, and what you believe today will matter for that moment. Satan was proud because of his beauty, and it corrupted his wisdom. You think you're all that in a bag of potato chips. I need to get on. We're not going to finish this sermon at all because this, episode two, the first rebellion, Genesis 3, that's where we get a problem with death and separation from God. The second rebellion, the giants or the Nephilim. Now, we've all been taught the first rebellion is the main rebellion, correct? Genesis 3, the garden, the serpent. That's where bad stuff happened. There's the three rebellions that we have to understand if we're going to walk with God and understand the spiritual war that's going around us. This is the weird one. This is the spiritual rebellion that literally opened the floodgates. It's the four verses right before the flood of Noah, but also it just sent rampant sin in. And here is why. This is wild. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of Elohim saw that the daughters of man were attractive. Are you tracking what's happened here? Heavenly beings look down and say, yeah, girl. <laughs> Seriously, what? They skip this in Sunday school and in big churches. And they'll say, well, maybe the sons of God means something different. I think it's just descendants from Seth. I think it's just, no, no, no. In the Old Testament, 99% of the time, the sons of Elohim are referring to spiritual beings. And they saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Maybe you're not in the same level of bewilderment that I'm in here. Have you ever seen a young teenager, like a teenage male in the wild, approach their prey who they want to ask out? just so good. <laughs> They're just like different human. Hey, 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 do you want to 
hang out sometime? Maybe, yeah. What's your Snap, TikTok, chat, message thing? It's this, user 2473. Cool, I'll see you later. It's so awkward. I can't imagine. What is a spiritual being who was created before the world was created, who has watched creation unfolding, and now they're looking down as humanity is expanding, and they say, we are going to make children with human women. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in you forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall number 120 years. That seems like a weird verse. What do you mean? Why, why is this happening? Because the Nephilim are what are, were on the earth in those days. And also after, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And through the rest of the Old Testament, it says, these were the descendants of the Nephilim, the Anakim. These were the giants. And when Moses was looking in the promised land and they were going through the desert and God said, Moses, send some spies in. The spies came back. Dudes were huge. We were like grasshoppers to them. They didn't even care that we were spying on them. And God's like, you're going to go take them out. Why is it that after a spiritual being made hybrid babies, would God flood the earth? Because in the beginning, before the very first rebellion, God said, I'm making humans in my image and I'm breathing my spirit into them to give them life. He fashioned Adam and he said, life, you are made in my image. And now we have other Elohim who are saying, we are going to make beings in our image. We are going to make these hybridized spiritual beings that are part Elohim now and part human. And they're going to be strong because they are part us. It's a weird story in the Bible. The rebellion matters because you may have read those passages or heard those passages. Why would God go into all these places when they're going back to Israel with Moses and Joshua and God says, wipe out every man, woman, and child? And you think, that seems rather cruel. Doesn't it seem cruel that God would say that? It should. If not, you need therapy. Text that number for a different reason. Say, I need therapy. I didn't think that was cruel. God wiped out with the flood, Nephilim, these hybrids, but some of, some of their spiritual ancestors lived through one of Noah's children. And then they multiplied. And why, the reason God is, for example, killing everyone, if you see, if you watch Joshua go in, God says, kill all of these people, drive these people out, kill all of these people, drive these people out. God is undoing what an Elohim had done that was a rebellion. That was to say, I, we're going to get people who worship only us. Nephal means to fall. Nephilim are the fallen ones. And God is saying this was a deity movement of beings that wanted to rebel against me and creating their own tribes of people. And I will not stand for it. So when God sends Moses in and then Joshua... And then lastly, David mops up the rest to kill these giants. These are the descendants of the Nephilim. And God's saying, I am going to undo this one way or the other. And it is important because I will not have these fallen ones, these rebellious people that have a spiritual DNA of absolute fall and rebellion within them. God says, I'm wiping them all out. 
because they cannot exist in a world where I am sending the Redeemer, in a world where I am calling humanity to be what I created them to be. These angels, as the New Testament calls them, who did not stay in their position or authority, they left their proper dwelling. God kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So those beings, the sons of God that made these hybrid creatures, these tall people who are abnormally tall, like a six foot six Filipino, those beings that rebelled, God said, you're in chains. So wait, wait a second. All those bad guys are in chains. Who's messing up the world? Who are the demons? We're not gonna, that's not for today. That's for another day. Sorry. Bummer for you. You'll never know if you missed that Sunday. God did not spare the angels when they sinned. This is from 2 Peter 2. But he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Those beings who caused that, this rebellion, Genesis 6, God said, I'm holding you here. Like what you guys did, that was really messed up. You're going to be judged. You're going to die for this. But I'm going to keep you here so you don't muck around in this way again. <sighs> did that. You don't need to know about that. Oh, he sent Moses, Joshua, and then David. You are going to need to know about that. It's important. God sent Moses. Moses is the law, the law receiver. Jesus is the true and better Moses, right? He's the one who doesn't just give the law. Jesus fulfills the law that we couldn't fulfill. Joshua is the commander. He's the great general in the, in the Old Testament. He is the general that takes the promised land and everyone gets to be like, yeah, we made it back to God's place. But what they didn't know is that that was just a temporary God's space. But Joshua is the general, the most famous general really of the Old Testament and Jesus is the greatest general who doesn't just take us to a piece of dirt but is going to take us to a renewed heaven and earth. King David is the one who slayed obviously the final giants. He killed Goliath and went to Gath and he slayed those giants. You and I are not King David. You are, and I are the scared Israelites who would not fight the giant and King David went and fought the giant on our behalf and by King David I mean Jesus. I'm tired you guys. The Nephilim you can get the Bible study in the back or on the webpage. This is from Numbers. The Nephilim, they looked at us. We were tiny. I already went over this. I don't need to do this again. Lord, get us to the Tower of Babel. Bah! The third rebellion that matters. You have the garden where humans discover death and are estranged from God. We're kicked out of the place where we can meet with God intimately in the morning. You have the spiritual rebellion of the sons of Elohim who make these hybrid creations in their own image. And God says, I'm going to undo all of the destruction that this has caused, and it's going to take a long time from now with the flood, through Moses, through Joshua, through David. And now you have this final rebellion before the Bible really changes the way that it speaks in Genesis 12 with Abraham. This is in Genesis 11. It's the Tower of Babel. Blah, 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 blah. It's where Babylon arises. In the Tower of Babel, we see that humans are helping to destroy ourselves. We are trusting in ourselves. Wars and bloodshed abound because we trust in ourselves and build monuments to ourselves. Now, if you're reading the Bible and it's the very first time, this story should make a lot of sense. There's this wickedness that's going on in Genesis 6. God floods the earth. Some of the humans that are on this ark, they survive. They come out. They begin to multiply. They're passing down stories over a couple of generations. And the people now are multiplying. They think, well, what if God floods the earth again? What should we do? Let's build a really high building so that the flood can't get us. Great. I would do that. Wouldn't you do that? Seems smart. 
Let's invest enough so that when we get to 65, we can retire, collect seashells, and walk on the beach and have sad lives. Right? Just do what humans think this is good to do. The whole earth had one language and the same words. They all spoke one language. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. Who is it for? Self. Good job, Nathan. Way to participate. And a tower with its top in the heavens so that they won't get flooded. And let us make a name for who? For who? Ourselves. Thank you, Nathan, for participating. And the Lord came down to see the great city tower and the tower which the children of men had built. So God's like, let's go down. Kids are playing Legos again. And the Lord said, this part should shake you. The Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. This is only the beginning of them to do things for themselves. They're going to keep on doing things for themselves. And this is not the plan. How do we know this? Because God made Adam and Eve and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they were like, we're going to do what we want and eat some fruit that you said no to. God says, okay, now we can't be together. Don't worry, I'm going to fix this in 2,000 years, 10,000 years. Just wait. And then Noah gets off the boat and God says to Noah, Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Like go somewhere else away from people. And Noah's like, I got an idea. Let's all stay together. And God says, fine. You're all going to do this. You're all going to allow this broken decision-making to pool up together. Have you noticed how dumb people can be together? Nobody? Yeah, yeah. A person is generally smart. Put a bunch of generally smart people together. You end up looking at people like, y'all are dumb. Like any political rally ever. Sorry, that's, let me just be more neutral. Any sports game ever. Like grown men painting themselves with body paint, singing songs, cheering. They memorize stats upon stats about sweaty 23-year-old men. And they're like, I don't know why my life's so hard. Bro, all you know are stats about sweaty young men. You wear body paint every other Sunday. Well, it's, I'm a fan. I know. So was Satan. So were the, the devils and the fallen ones. The problem is, what are we a fan of? These people are a fan of themselves. And God's saying, your brokenness of humanity, the, the fact that you keep making these bad decisions over and over, you will, they'll continue to do it if we let them stay together. We're going to separate them and nothing because he says nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. It doesn't mean they can become God. It doesn't mean they could reach God. It means they're literally going to try a billion, million things for themselves, and it's going to look like an absolute train wreck. So we're going to make this easy and just separate them so they don't have the collective power of stupidity, just pockets of stupidity. That's why we have denominations. Sorry. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. This is where Babel comes from. This is where Babylon begins. We don't want them to understand each other. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth and they left, they left the building. They're like, well, I can't understand you. Every time I go down to my mama in the summertime to buy tacos, I get mistaken for someone who speaks Spanish. 
it's like I, my this is like mostly what I look like in the winter. I go to the beach three times. I look like I should be able to speak Spanish. I don't, except for like the emergency Spanish I learned where I grew up in Southern California. I can find a bathroom, a hospital, and a library. That's it. Donde esta la biblioteca? Okay. And um, there's just one place I go to called El Sol. El Sol, I think that's what it's called. Best place, little roosters walking around. I've been there two or three times now. They don't, they don't speak English behind the counter. I know they're saying, what do you want? And I just point. Numero uno, tres. Siete. Para tu, para mi. It's, God did this, and it's important because of the verse that comes. It's, it's such a weird verse. Moses is the author of Genesis through Deuteronomy. As he's writing these books, and God's saying, record this, record that, he gets to Deuteronomy, the final book, and he's explaining, he's looking back, and he's saying, this is what happened back in, in Genesis 11. Moses was the person writing it down, because God is revealing this to him when he's on Mount Horeb. And in the last book that Moses is authoring here, he says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind at Babel, it's the only place up to this point in history that God's divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of Elohim. How, how did God choose? How many groups? Because there were a certain number of sons of Elohim who would govern and rule with their rebellion spirits. But the Lord's portion, God's portion is his people. So when God separated people at Babel, he said, well, here's how we're going to break this up. All of you nations are here because this is how many of these council members I have. But my portion is Israel. They are my heritage. You don't get them. They're mine. And I rule all of you, but I'm letting you guys have your way, which is why we have the Canaanites, which is why we have these different religions like Islam and like Buddhism and like Confucianism and, and all of these other variations and flavors. And what is wild to me is that God then gives his people a warning. And I'm here to give you a warning today. Beware lest you raise your eyes to the heaven. And when you see the sun, moon, and the stars, when you see the, the things in the sky, when you read astrology reports and star tabloid, all the hosts of heaven, you will be drawn away and bow down to them and to serve them. This is what every Elohim wants. Every member that is a rebelled spiritual being wants you to bow to them and to serve them. And they're everywhere. There's a cosmic geography that we have just conveniently ignored in the Bible. Moses goes on to say in Deuteronomy that the people around Israel, they sacrifice to demons. So the word Shadim, which literally it's like a, a shade, an afterlife spirit that were not gods. And they also, the people around Israel sacrificed to gods they had never known, to Elohim they had never known. And the people around Israel even began sacrificing to new Elohim that they had, that had come recently. See, the rebellion in heaven, it wasn't just a one-time thing way back in the beginning. The rebellion in heaven are spiritual beings at different periods throughout history in their spiritual realm have said, we're going our own way and we're going to mess things up. And God says, this is what they do. Humans are inventing new ways to follow other beings and it always goes poorly. How did Jesus redeem these rebellions? The rebellion of Adam brought sin into the world. One act, Jesus dying on the cross, led to justification and life for all of us.
It's not when you are good enough. It's not when you confess enough things or enough times. It's not if you've prayed long enough. It's do you trust that Jesus on the cross is enough for all of your salvation, for you to be accepted, even though you don't believe you should be accepted, for you to feel free, even though you feel like you're trapped by what happened to you in your childhood, in your marriage, in your past. Jesus said, I've died to make all of that right. I've undone the rebellion. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, Christ on the cross, many will be made righteous. Jesus undid the the, the flood rebellion. He he undid it back in the Old Testament with this sense of, okay, we're going to flood the earth. We're going to get rid of most of these Nephilim, these hybrid offspring that are not part of the God's creation. And then he wiped them out with Moses, Joshua, and David. But what he didn't do until the cross is that he, they kept saying, you're going to be saved. Look, you want to be saved? Get on the boat. You want to be saved? Follow this leader. Follow Joshua. Follow Moses. Follow the judges. Follow all of these leaders. And Jesus says, look, if you want to be saved, I am the door. It's very simple. You're here and you're like, I, okay, that's a lot of weird spiritual stuff, pastor. What do I do? Door. Jesus. Walk. Hello. You're in a new room. This room is brighter. Doesn't smell like death. We're humans. We go back to the old room. I had fun in this room. Smells like death. You should probably stay on this side of the door. Death, life. Jesus says, I am the door. He will, anyone enters by me. You want to get to heaven? You want to be saved from the impending flood? You want to be saved from the giants of sin and death? You want to be saved from the psychological torment of what your past did to you? You want to be saved from the fact that everything going on in your life now feels like it's falling apart or hanging by a thread? There's one door. Well, don't all religions lead to the same? No. Read their books. They don't. The only people who say that are people who have read none of the books. Do you want to be saved? You're dead in your trespasses. In the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. God God had made you alive having forgiven all of your trespasses, all of your failures. How many of them, Nate? Oh. Verse 15 is what I want us to, we're going to end here. I just can't go any farther. There's too much. Ryan, you put too many slides in. Jesus came and, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Don't clap yet. Clap in a second. Jesus undid the, disarmed them. Spiritual beings are armed with cunning cleverness, with timelessness. From the time they're created, they've got thousands of years on you. You barely passed 12th grade English. They and their natural state of being could devour and destroy us. Jesus on the cross disarmed them in a way they never saw coming. And he took the weapons that they have. You have no weapons against my kids. They entered through me. You don't come through this door. And he disarmed them. What we do is that we get through, we're like, 
Jesus stuff is really cool. I really like that song. I should read my Bible more. But we don't deal with the brokenness, the spiritual rebellion, the human flesh rebellion that's in all of us. And we start getting weapons and we're like, well, you can have this weapon back if you want to stab me in the back, evil thing. And we wonder, why am I getting hurt so much? Because Jesus disarmed them, but sometimes we're so addicted. We want to give weapons back to the evil ones. We want to give weapons back to our sin nature. We're too scared to say, I have one in Christ. If Jesus disarmed them and you stand with Christ, there's nothing that can stand against you. Literally nothing. Why is it that we feel defeated? Why is it that we feel ashamed? Why is it that we feel scared to confess? Jesus has paid for every penalty of sin. Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities. Paul says, you're, gonna, you're going into battle and your battle is not against flesh, it's against rulers and authorities and powers. Well, how do we win, Paul? Put on God. Put on the attributes of Jesus, righteousness, truth, salvation, faith. Put it on. Don't go out there trying to fight it with a dumb app. Don't think you're going to be self-controlled enough. I have defanged and detoothed the lion. So you don't have to be afraid. And here we are, 2023, February 19th, afraid. I know we're afraid. We're afraid because when we were told to raise our hands, some of you thought, I can't raise my hand. And you even made a joke about it, so it'd be easier for us. We're afraid because if I tell you that you're free and that all your sins are paid for, there's nothing you have to do. Some of you are like, well, don't tell people that. They're going to go sin. They're sinning before I said it, and they will sin afterward. The gospel is that God loves you despite you, that God defanged evil, not waiting for you to get better, but because he knew that spiritual evil, we couldn't touch it. It was bigger than us. And we can't see them and they can see us. That's an advantage. And we think we're all tough and rough down here. I don't need to yell at demonic powers and fallen beings and celestial sons of Elohim who have caused people to rebel because Jesus disarmed them. When I read this, I always think of the Empire Strikes Back. It's weird, right? Because that's like the most famous arm dismemberment I have in me. But it's the good guy. In this story, it's so fascinating to me that we think that these spirits have some sway over us. They don't. Jesus undoes their power and authority. When Jesus gives us the final mission, he says, go make disciples of all nations. Now this we've heard a thousand million, billion, trillion times. Go make disciples of all nations. I want you to read this in light of the rebellion of the Tower of Babel. We tried to bring everyone together to rebel against God. And God said, I'm going to separate everyone. And then when Jesus is leaving after his ministry, he goes, remember all those people I separated? We're going to get them all back. I sent them out to be with the rebellious Elohim. I've taken their weapons. And now I'm sending you to go fight this disarmed rebellion. And you're going to get them back by preaching the truth about me in these places of darkness. So when I say go share the good news about Jesus with somebody, I'm not saying go be a programmed robot that repeats one phrase. I'm saying you get to bring the truth about God to your neighbor who's been believing a lie. 
to your neighbor who's been just throwing themselves in some one addiction after the other. And we are undoing Babel every time we share the good news of Jesus, the truth about what Jesus did for, for them and for us. We're going and standing in the midst of a spiritual rebellion where these sons of Elohim had led humans to be all for themselves. And God said, you're going, I'm going to split you all up. And the God's ultimate plan, jokes on evil, was to say, now we're going to go get them all back. And then we get to end up in the city of God. That was way too much for one message, right? I knew it was going to be nerdy today. Next week's going to be less nerdy, but more terrifying. 